Okay, so the point of this class, um, besides eating pizza and exchanging our names and niceties, um, is to really get a, 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 bless you, a working knowledge of enough of the history of what happened in 48, 67, 2005, so that when you get into conversations... So when you get into um, conversations with friends and colleagues, I've never gotten so many texts, emails, WhatsApps from students ever in all my years of doing this that so many people are really um, struggling with how to answer legitimate questions that people have because they're curious or like arguments and fights that people have gotten into with close friends, family, um, over the situation. Uh, They just took a... um, a poll, and I forgot the name of the group that conducted the poll, but it seemed pretty legit, and it was done pretty shortly thereafter, before the entire body count was concluded, when it was thought that there were 1,200 uh, Jewish people that were killed by Hamas, before the number rose to 1,400. And over 50%, a little more than 50% of the people that were polled between the ages of 18 and 24 believed that the attack by Hamas was justified. Now, the number went down as the age went up. So people like in their like mid-20s to 30s, the number then went down from like the 51% to like, I don't know, less. And then it kept going down as the age went, but it was still significant. And, you know, to me, that's like a really good job with propaganda. That's like a very effective um, false narrative that's been pushed for many years. And this is now the result of too many people, um, too many people in the community keeping quiet. You know, Hitler taught the world a long time ago, not so long ago, that if you repeat a lie often enough, it will eventually be believed. And that's what's happening, and what we need to do is we need to be equipped with the knowledge of the information. So we spent some time last week on 48, specifically um, the creation of the State of Israel, and um, the one thing I just want to remember, remind everyone from our discussion last week, and then I want to do a deeper dive into 67, and then if we have some time, and, and the Gaza withdrawal, and then we have some time, we w- I wanted to talk a little about the different views within the Jewish community about Zionism, which I touched on a little last week as well. So the main point I wanted to drive home about 1948, just if I asked you, how was the State of Israel actually created? How did the political entity called the state come into existence? The UN made it, and then right. we went to war, and they tapped us. We wanted to okay, wait. Just, oh, just, oh, sorry. Just, just the UN part. On November 29th, 1947... The United Nations voted, and that was called, what was that called? The vote? Partition. partition. Why was it called partition? Because there was going to be a state for the Palestinians. And state for right, they were going to partition what was previously ruled over by the British, and a part was going to be given to the Jews, and a part was going to be given. What do we call that today, actually? It's called the two-state solution. Yeah. It was a two-state solution. What everyone here needs to now, and it was supposed to take into effect in... Um, uh, May 14th, 1948. Guess what happened the day after May 14th, 1948? While Jews were dancing the horror in the streets, and you can 
you can actually get footage of Jews dancing the Hora in the streets. It's black and white. It's kind of interesting. It's on YouTube. Uh, five Arab armies uh, attacked. So you'll ask yourself, what are they attacking if this whole conflict is, is over the Israeli occupation of lands that were not, uh, did not belong to them, then why are they attacking? Isn't this whole thing... Hey, welcome. You're, you're welcome to, to join a little closer if you like. Isn't this whole thing over occupation? And that's really one of my goals in teaching this three-part series is to debunk this myth that this, this anger and resentment developed in the Arab world and spreading to the European world and spreading to more progressive Western societies is if the Jewish people, if the state of Israel had not simply acquired territory that wasn't theirs and they would you know, release these territories, then there would be peace and everybody would be able to sit and sing the Kumbaya. So, so the first fact you need to know to debunk that myth is that we were attacked the day after partition. Okay. Another important fact. Does anybody know the name of the terrorist group? Probably the first terrorist group, official terrorist group, that was created to oppose the occupation. The PLO. The PLO. What year? 1950 or 40s. No, well, what should it be? If it's to oppose the occupation, this is very important. Maybe I'm assuming some information. When does the occupation start, technically? 67, and I'll get into it in a minute, after we were almost attacked, we struck first, and we took all of this land that didn't belong to us as sort of a buffer, or whatever the reason that Israel took the land. But it's important to remember that if this was all about occupation, then why did that terrorist group, why was it formed in 64? Three years before, there was an even war in which Israel took these lands. Okay, just let that sit for a minute. It's very important, Okay. Because if any, anyone from the Arab world got up and just said, we are opposed to the existence of the state of Israel, which is partition, they get laughed at, except for who? Hamas. Because they, they actually wrote that in their charter. Which is why I was always, like, I always had a harder time with Fatah, which is the more mainstream Palestinian authority governing the Palestinians in the West Bank, Yudav v'Shomron, because they said one thing in Arabic and something else in English. They wore suits. They were showing up at the thing. They were making peace. <coughs> Bill Clinton, if you remember big years ago, um, Hamas was always like, no. They never talked about occupation. <laughs> they talked about the existence of the state of Israel. They want to wipe us off the map, period. They're not interested in kicking us out of Judea and Samaria, the West Bank, or the Gaza Strip. And the biggest argument, of course, is is that we vacated the Gaza Strip. That's the first thing you need to tell your friends and everybody else. Now, they're going to say right back, what's the response going to be? Yeah, but there's a blockade. Now, let's be very specific. What is the nature of this blockade? We do have control of the water. We do have control of the airspace. And we have control over electricity. Okay? I was watching Bill Maher. I don't know if any of you listened to Bill Maher. Um... I don't always agree with him, but on this stuff, I really like him. Some other stuff, too. He's very, he's very intellectually honest. I like that about him. I don't always agree with but, you know, when somebody on the panel said that, he said, what would have been if Israel didn't retain the rights and jurisdiction over it? Forget it. 
they had to do. There would have been suicide if Israel just gave everything back without retaining some kind of control. But here's a more important point. This is me speaking now. Does holding on to airspace, the waterways, and, and, and electricity in any way deter, prevent, hinder, Hamas, I don't want to say Hamas, the Palestinian people, the 2.1 million Palestinians living in the Gaza Strip, from building hospitals, creating universities, building wonderful infrastructure like they've been given billions of dollars to do. So unless you can demonstrate that what Israel held on to, or this quote-unquote blockade, is somehow preventing them from having this Hong Kong or Singapore that people said it was going to be. That's what Ariel Sharon, by the way, who was a right-wing prime minister of Israel, he was the one that oversaw the withdrawal. And I don't know if you, know, you guys remember, I remember it vividly. I was in Israel at the time with, a, with an MGE group. And they were literally pulling Jews out of their homes. Yeah. Now, they were arguing, you know, 2020's hindsight, they were arguing it's going to be the best thing for Israel. They didn't do this to please the Palestinians. They did this because there were a million, at the time, Palestinians living in the area, surrounding about seven to 8,000 Jewish people. And my tour guide at the time, Elliot Shadoff, who was a, 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 he's a career military person in the Israeli army, he was telling our whole group that we should do this, this is a good thing. People were like, really? I don't know. But he was like, he's the expert. And he was part of a whole group of people, including the prime minister, who was a hawk. He was a real right-winger, Ariel Sharon. I used to, used to see his house. in the. He had a house in the Muslim quarter with a big Israeli flag, like, you know, to show, like, this is our, this is our place. And, and, and he was a great hero of Israel. And he just said, it's, it's not worth it. So, but this is very, very important that, that this whole occupation, blockade, these are the words that keep getting used. And unfortunately, our young people in this country have somehow internalizes the truth, and it somehow legitimates. It somehow justifies <coughs> the horrors. That's what's, that's, a, that's what's been very painful, to be perfectly honest. It's literally depressing me all week. Is that somehow, that it's like justified in the minds, and people, you know, I'm getting all these reels on my Instagram of people pulling off the, the signs of the yeah. pictures of the hostages, and, um, and what's happening on campus, it's just like, it's a complete, I mean, it's literally, it's so similar. I interviewed a Holocaust survivor today for my podcast. It's going to come out next week, please God. This woman is amazing. My daughter has had the great honor of visiting her for like twice a week. For the last year and a half, she's studying in Israel. And she's like, Abba, you got to meet this woman She's the cutest lady in the world, and she's so smart, and she's so this, and she and she goes over there, and they cook together, and they hang out, she, and they become very close, and I interviewed her today, and I was like, and we she went like from images as a little girl from her little, where she was from in Poland, and the time she spent in the concentration camps, she went from those kinds of images and that kind of um, experiences that she that she, uh, that she went through to what's happening. And she has, um, she has 24 grandchildren and 46 great-grandchildren. And 12 of them are in the front lines. I mean, it's unbelievable. Yeah. And, and it'll come out next week, please, God. You'll be able to see it. 
But um, any questions just about any of that? I keep loading all this information. Yeah, please. I have a question. Um, so before, I know you talked about this last week and I wasn't here, but um, before Israel was created, I yeah. that it was the you know, mandate in You're right. Um, when people refer to Levant, like, what is that referring to exactly? I'm not sure. I've heard of that term. I'm not really sure. Okay, because, like, was that what it's called, like, under the Ottoman Empire? Did they also call it Palestine? Okay, so, no, Palestine has only, has been, that term has been resurrected since 67, I would say. It's very recent. Um, And Palestine was a name that the Romans gave to Israel. (laughs) Right, but the British called it Palestine. Yeah, 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 yeah. But uh, the the idea of, um, right, it was used, it was used by Jews. To refer to Israel, it was the region of Palestine, but it's interesting to note when the Romans destroyed the Second Temple and exiled the Jewish people, 70 CE, they renamed it Philistina, something after our arch enemy, the Philistines, as a way of like, we we beat you guys, and now we're going to call this country after your worst enemy, the Plishtim, from the Torah and the Bible. Um, Palestinian nationalism didn't really begin in earnest, I think, till the Six-Day War. Uh, they, were Jew- they were mostly Jordanians and other Arabs from other countries living in that area. And I don't mean to, and, and again, I said this last week, I want to, there were many Arabs living in Israel when the state was created. Yeah. But, but the goal of the state and the goal of, of the partition was not to uproot people from their homes. It was to create a a state where most of the Jews were living for the Jews, and then a state where most of the Arabs were living for Arabs, and then people could go to either one. Yeah, Cotton. Okay, so when um, 67 happened and the Arab armies came in, Gaza was, you know, controlled already by Egypt, and the West Bank was Jordan. Correct. Were those countries planning on maybe... Does everyone get that, by the way? That's good to know, the way you just said that very clearly. Jordan was in control of the West Bank, which yeah. is Yehudah Shomron, yeah. Judea and Samaria, and Egypt was in control of the Gaza Strip. And that's when it was coined the West Bank. It was between 48 and 67, I'm assuming. Correct. Um, so, did, what was like their motive, was their motivation to like liberate a new country of Palestine, or were they just going to annex who's they, like, that they, land? Who's they? Jordan and, and I guess... The countries that invaded and, or were planning... The countries that were invading, their goal was basically to wipe Israel off the map, which is a quote. Were they going to, like, split up the land, do you think? Or do you think uh, they actually yeah. wanted to, like, that's create a, Palestine? Yeah. I think that they were just going to, like... I mean, what, uh, why, that's why a really they good question. so much about the Palestinians to give the Palestinians their own state? They probably were just going to split it up amongst themselves, right? I don't think the Palestinians <laughs> would have had their own state. If Egypt and Syria, which were the two main countries, and then Jordan joined in, yeah, and then Iraq came in, you had a lot of countries, but there was a three-front war during the Six-Day War. If those countries had been successful and kicked the Jews out, God forbid, um, there would have been a land grab. Yeah. Syria would have taken the stuff in the north. Egypt would have taken the stuff in the south. Uh, the Jordanians would... would they, they would not... Have, that's a very interesting point. There's no... There's no, there's no what, way they, they didn't even claim they were going in to save the Palestinians. Yeah. So the Palestinians have been used... They're the perfect enemy from within mm-hmm. that the these other countries left. Why is it that to this day the 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 prime minister of Egypt and of Jordan can get up and say we're not taking any Palestinians? Yeah. But why are they not taking any Palestinians? 
They should be taking some of the Palestinians. They care about Palestinians. Because they don't care. They never care. They still don't care. If they cared, they would take them. They use them. And people need to understand that. I, I, and, and, and I'm not pretending that I'm, I'm giving this whole course to protect the Palestinians, but that's the reality. I, yeah. And also, I mean, you talk about everything, yeah. but I, I am also very curious about, like, UNRWA and... The UN? And, yeah, that, and that specific, like, organization and, like, actually how much oversight it has in terms of, like, what it actually... The problem but, is, the, 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 this is a longer conversation, sorry. you know, yeah, and now <laughs> it's, listen, the United States has been strongly in Israel's camp, the United Nations is not, and it hasn't been for many, many years. Yeah, okay. question. Why, why do you say they're why are I mean, I think I, I think they don't want them, and I think they're afraid because a lot of them are radicalized. But, but I don't think that's the main reason. I think the main reason is is because if you can't win the battle against Israel, which is why Egypt and Jordan made peace treaties with Israel, it's not because we felt they fell in love with us. I mean, the 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 Abraham Accords is very different. The reason why, what's the reason why, um, Bahrain, what else, Morocco. Uh, they UAE. A larger project and investment because they, of oil. Because not Iran. only oil, they're nervous oh, about they're Iran. Iran. They're concerned oh, yeah, about yeah, Iran. Yeah, yeah. And they want to be linked up with, with Israel. And now that that's happened, there's actually a real cultural exchange. Yeah. You don't have such a situation with Jordan. Egypt is a terribly anti-Semitic place to go. Jordan is not as dangerous for a Jew to be in. But there's a, there's a cold peace. But they made peace because they couldn't be successful at war. It's just a reality. I mean, I, I and and that's why Israel has to be strong. That's how you make the peace. When the war option has been taken off the table, because Egypt and Syria, you know, at Syria we don't have a treaty with Syria because Egypt and Jordan don't think they can be successful against us. But the Palestinians are still another great way of continuing to make trouble for Israel, and uh, they're caught in, in in the middle. They can't really go anywhere. That nobody will take them. Um, they could overthrow Hamas, but I, I don't know how much uh, of, of a desire there is, and it's not so simple. Hamas, as you can see, is quite powerful. Yeah. Where did the Palestinians come from if, uh, if Israel was under like British rule before it became Israel? There were no Palestinians. They were just Arabs living in the area. Most of them were Jordanians. Some were from Egypt. They were from Syria. They were from all over the Arab world, primarily that neighborhood of the Arab world the close proximity of Palestine. But there was no such thing as a Palestinian. There were just Arabs living in the area that was called Palestine. Okay, so I guess you can call them Palestinians, but there were also Jews living there. We didn't call the Jews living. What are the Jews who were living in Palestine? What were they? They were Palestinians too. They weren't Israelis. There was no Israel yet. These are just words. Um, now, there is a passion. There is a sort of a Palestinian... Because when this whole thing started developed in the 67 a nationalism and a kind of identity started developing within the Palestinian world, unfortunately centered around hate for Israel. But that's what sort of started to form some kind of nationalistic spirit. You know? Yeah, please. Why do people say it's a genocide when, like... What, what Israel is doing? Or what? Yeah, what Israel is doing. Because it's, it's, like, a, it's a good buzzword. Um, uh, it's a good buzzword to um, to get the world angry at you. And you know what they'll say also? They, they continue <laughs> by saying that what often happens in people's personal lives, who are the biggest abusers? People who abuse themselves. 
So they say, we understand why Israel, Israel got kicked around so much. They lost six million of their own in the Holocaust. So now they're getting back at the world and they're taking it out on the Palestinians. This is part of the narrative. That's the nice way of saying it. Okay. You just have to turn back and say, you're using words like genocide and apartheid. You know what it does? It takes a real genocide, like they were doing in Africa. Or Uyghurs. Okay. Um, or what, they would, what, they, what the Nazis tried to do to the Jews. There are actual instances. What genocide is an attempt, a stated attempt on the part of a nation to annihilate another people in their entirety. Okay. We have that in, we have that in Africa, in Rwanda. Yeah. We had that with the Nazis against the Jews. How do you have that here? How, how, where is the Jewish state because they're, they're shooting rockets and a lot of innocent civilians are dying? That's true, unfortunately. But that's called war when the war is waged from civilian areas. Hospitals, mosques, uh, you know, educational centers. Uh, and, and the response to that is always the same. What would you have Israel do? Pull back because Hamas decided to shoot and, and surround themselves from the children? And that's the moral question. Are you allowed to, in order to get at your enemy, the only way to get at your enemy is to go through innocence. Are you allowed to do that? Are you allowed to do that? Because that's what's happening. Well, we believe you can, and you yeah. must. Because and you must, now. because it will just continue. And you're inviting more violence. Okay, in 2014, when the last serious incursion into Gaza, if Israel had done what, please God, it's going to do now, we wouldn't be in this situation today. But the world basically couldn't take so many civilians dying, so they stopped Israel's hand, the United States included. And I understand it, it's an emotional response, but, but you're inviting it to continue, because it will continue. It, it's not as though if Hamas gets a huge whooping here, excuse me, they're going to just go down. They're going to regroup and do it again. So either Israel leaves or they wipe out Hamas. Those are the only two options here. It was the same option in 2014 and every time, I mean, it's just that it's, it's difficult and it's terrible. So what Israel asked the Palestinians in those areas that they have to bomb where all the tunnels are, where I think they believe the hostages are being kept to whatever degree they can know, is to evacuate those areas and go to a different part. What did Hamas tell them? Don't go. And you have to understand this, the more Palestinians that die, the better Hamas looks. They don't care. This is very hard for a Westerner to wrap their mind around. They believe in jihad, which means the more people who die as martyrs, the greater it is for your nation and your people. You've got to get yourself into that mindset. If you stay in your Western liberal mindset, and that's why the more, this is my opinion now, that's why the people that are most co-opted by this are the most liberal and the most left. Because the more left you are and the more progressive you are, the more you can't really wrap your head around that people would actually live that way. So that's a very, very important thing. The people who get this the most in the Jewish community are Svardim. Why Svardim? Because their parents and grandparents grew up in Arab countries. So they understand the mentality a lot better than Ashkenazim, who didn't grow up in those types of countries, except survivors, except people who actually saw these kinds of atrocities before. We're kind of like in the middle generation, where we missed the Holocaust, thankfully, thank God, and we saw the state of Israel created. We, we were born, like I was born like a month 
after the Six-Day War, okay? And everybody else of us born afterwards. So it's like a certain mentality. We don't really, we don't get it. And if you don't get it, you can't deal with your enemy like you need to. Yeah, please. But how does it help Hamas if they're killing their own people and blaming Israel? Because there are, all the news sources basically are like... Because the question is, what is the goal of Hamas? The goal of Hamas eventually is what? To get rid of Israel. So how does how does how do innocent Palestinian civilians? I don't think they're all innocent, but let's say half of them are innocent. Okay, I just pick a number. All right, how does that that half that's innocent dying help Hamas? Because it gets the world to stop Israel. What is they doing? They're coming on these guys, the Hamas guys. They're calling for a peace treaty, and how do they're calling for a ceasefire, which is what they did every single time. Now, why do they do that? They we need a ceasefire. They're killing our babies. They're killing our children. They look great doing that. What do they get out of that? Out of the ceasefire? They regroup. It's very hard for them to fight when they're being bombed all the time. Well, what I mean is, yeah. like, they bombed their own hospital and then blamed Israel. Right. Meanwhile, every single news source is like, what happened to bombs? Israel doesn't have those weapons. Right. So the news comes out that Israel didn't do it. Certainly Hamas did. And people are so like, oh, Israel did it. Not like- because the, the, the liberal media, unfortunately, has, has went with the, with the Palestinian narrative years ago. Listen, when I was, in, I was a graduate student in Columbia in 1989, 1990, 91, I graduated in 92. Edward Said was the head of the literature department. We still don't understand what he was doing as the head of the literature department. He was not a scholar in literature. Columbia? I didn't know that, but it's <laughs> You know, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, he's like the, the guy. Right, so I studied in the Middle East department there, but I was primarily in the, in, the, in the Harriman Institute for Soviet Studies. That's why I went to Columbia. I wanted to be a Sovietologist. But like all of the action was going on in the Middle East, so, so I took some classes, you know. And it was this, I'm just saying, this is not new. This was already embedded within the culture of Columbia University in the, um, in the late... 80s, early 90s. It's been going on for a long time. What's different today is that it you know, just spread to almost all the universities now. This idea that Israel took that which, which it was never entitled to. But you, but you have to break it down. Because nobody would say, nobody, nobody talks about, nobody would say that partition was bad. Have you ever heard anyone say anything about the creation of the state of Israel? It was a moral thing that the United Nations voted in favor of partition, gave a state to the Jews and a state to the Arabs. I mean, they say it's that all the time now. Right. But Arabs who are honest say that. Hamas says that. They were against it then, but Fatah never said that. Fatah never... They just talk about 67. They talk about that we took all... Now, we did. Anyone here knows, needs to know the history. What did we take in 67? This is important. West Bank we took the entire West Bank, the Gaza Strip, the Golan Heights, and the Sinai Peninsula. Big territories, by the way. It made Israel, it tripled Israel's size. Yeah, Israel, Sinai was massive. We gave it back for peace. And I'll, I'll just say something rabbinic for a minute. My teachers and rabbis are in favor of giving back. We're always in favor of giving back land for peace. Rabbi Salvechik, who you always hear me quote, said that you can give back the Kotel if it could secure peace. We were just talking about this today. Now, that was very controversial. A lot of other rabbis, Lubavitch Rebbe was against that. For halachic reasons, didn't feel that even if it could secure peace, they were, they were against giving back land. But 
the Israeli establishment, with all due respect, was not consulting rabbis for their opinion. The Israeli establishment is secular, and they're doing things based on military and strategic. Okay, they gave back land if they thought they could get peace, and they could, they could quiet a border. Okay? And by the way, it was successful with Egypt. It was successful with Jordan. We were fighting wars with those two countries. We haven't been able to do it with Syria. Um, because that would, I think, according to most people, be a suicide. If anybody's been in the Golan Heights, just look up and look down. We were down, and now we're up. Okay? So it's... it's, it's and, um, and that's why it wasn't a crazy thing to give back the Gaza Strip. People thought, okay, let's try with the Palestinians what we successfully tried with Egypt and Jordan. Except Hamas took control. And when Hamas takes control, they're going to just use it as a launching pad for attacks. Um, and and um, now one other thing I want everyone here to be clear on. Why was this, there a six-day war in which Israel took all these lands? Why did that happen? If somebody says to you, us. well, they didn't attack, but no, you need to know the facts. We preemptively attacked. Why? We shot the first bullet. I think we had good evidence that they were planning. Not just intelligence. Um, what we had was massive um, mobilizations of the Egyptians in the south. I'll give you the numbers. And the Syrians in the north. 465,000 soldiers were amassed on these two on these borders. You know, there's almost a half a million soldiers, 2,800 tanks, 800 aircraft surrounded the infant state of Israel. Israel was 19 years old. Okay, and all of the intelligence reports coming in was they're going to attack. Now, important to know also, who was Israel's main supplier of weapons until that point? Russia? No, no, no. Russia was backing the Arabs. France. France imposes an oil embargo during this high alert when these mobilizations are taking place. And the United States, who was not really a big supporter yet of Israel, they vote in favor of partition and there were certain supporting things, but they were not the ones giving us the weapons. French, all, of the, all of the stuff was either made in Israel or in France. The United States sent a message from the CIA, and you can read this in Michael Oren's book called The Six Days of War. It's a really great book. It's thick and big, but it's really good, okay? Anyone who read it? The Six Days of War, Michael Oren, he's spoken here before. I know. Um, he says in there that the United States told Israel, if you shoot the first bullet, we cannot stand behind you. So Israel was forced to choose between having America's back but losing the element of surprise, they would have to wait to be attacked, and then they'd have America behind them, whatever that means. So they just said, we can't do that. Well, that's what they're doing now also. They're not letting them go in. Who's not? America's not letting them go in. Is that... Is that so I haven't heard that. I don't know. It could, it could, it could be true. It could be true. I've heard other reasons why they haven't gone in yet. I've heard other theories and other reasons. We're never really going to know until the dust settles here. Right. So I, I don't know. It, it's entirely possible that the United States, with all of the love and support and the two fleets they sent and the, and the Iron Dome and the 10 senators that are there now and Blinken went and the president went, 
maybe that's their way of like fixing the mess up, basically. What's that? Fixing the mess up, all the stuff that they left in. Iran's using it against us. The problem is if they don't fix the problem, some you know, if they if they don't take, I mean, I don't, I'm not a military expert. I just don't see, I don't see how this can not go on and not happen again if Hamas isn't replaced, if there isn't regime change. Um, I don't know. What's, right, right. I don't know. I, I heard that they're they're trying to train as many of these reservists in urban warfare, and that takes some time. Or they're trying to lay the... the they, they want to minimize... I mean, there were 67 Israeli soldiers that were killed in 2014. And I, I went to Har Herzl, and I remember seeing, like, the freshly dug graves... 18-year-olds, 19-year-olds, 20-year-olds, and they're much more entrenched today than they were. So, I, 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 don't, I, I don't know. You could very well be correct. What's that? I mean, the whole place is booby-trapped. They're waiting for them to come. And here's the thing. Like, they don't mind dying. That's the problem with this particular enemy. So then... So, like, in legal system, right? Yeah. Like, if someone's supporting a criminal, they're equally accountable. So, I don't know. So I people see it from that I, Listen, I'm, I'm also, I, I don't know if there's any legal basis to do this, but no, I, would, I would love to see it become illegal in the United States to attend, to attend a Hamas, a pro-Hamas rally. And here's my, now everyone's going to scream out, it's, it's a violation of the First Amendment of free speech. I took three classes of constitutional law when I went to law school. You can't get up in a crowded movie theater and, and yell fire. That's not called free speech. That's yeah. illegal. Yeah. You can go to jail for doing that. So I don't see how it's any different attending a pro-Hamas demonstration. Yeah. Because if you are vocally promoting an organization that is engaged in systematic terror, okay, in doing what they did two weeks ago in Simchas Torah, okay, then you're complicit. Yeah. How are you differentiating between Palestinian rallies? And so that's the that's yeah. the difference. They would have to figure out a way. That's an excellent question. They would have to because that's what everyone's hiding behind now. I'm yeah. not against the I'm not against Hamas. I'm, I'm for Palestinians and the ten senators who are very pro-Israel, five Democrat, five Republican. They you know they were very careful to say this is not a war against the Palestinians. It's a war against Hamas. And I agree with them. It is. But if Hamas, what do you do to German sympathizers during the Second World War, to people who were aiding and abetting the Nazi cause? Are they not, do they not become prisoners of war if you capture them? Are, are they not part of the, the battle? Because Yeah, if they're supporting that act, then they are. They are right, yeah. so isn't going to a rally doing that? That's what I would yeah. like to see. I, I don't know. I, I have one MG friend, he's a big supporter of our work here at MGE, and he he wants to, like, lawyer up. You know, he wants yeah. to, like, start getting legislation, Article 6, human rights stuff, and, and try to, you know, because there's a lot of anti-Semitism and discrimination against Jews going on well, on college campus. With work, like, a lot of companies are yeah. saying we're not going to hire anyone that's actually supporting this kind right. of act. I mean, I was pre I'm very against the whole cancel culture thing, but is it, would I be against cancel culture for a Nazi? No, no I cancel a Nazi. Yeah. I don't think I have a problem canceling Nazis, so why yeah. should I have a problem canceling? I just don't I think if you're not promoting killing other people, then you should be allowed to speak. I think there is a yeah. line. Yeah. Calling, you know, screaming fire in a crowded movie theater. That's dangerous. Yeah. Supporting people who kill innocent men, women, and children um, is, is dangerous and should be illegal, just like murder is. So. Well, really, even with 
And and it's become and it's so distressing because I don't know, I like to believe it's just simple naivete that so many young college students, you know, are are at these rallies now that they, they don't realize I'm trying to and we call it in Hebrew to be Malamed Zuchut, giving people the benefit of the doubt, that they don't realize who they're getting in bed with, excuse me. And and that that, that what by by being at a rally like this, they're promoting they're promoting the death of innocence. Like, are they okay with that? Is that what the liberal progressive world... Now, I'm not saying everyone in the liberal progressive world is doing this. It's not true. But it's just the, the numbers are quite significant of people at these rallies. Now, a lot of them are just pro-Hamas people getting... Riled, and, and, and during Black Lives Matter, they were able to squeeze the, the Palestinian and the Hamas flag in onto some of those demonstrations. So, you know, it, it kind of just gets in there and then it just becomes part of the norm without anyone saying anything. Yeah, Tracy. Uh, kind of a question if you're talking about... Just speak loud so everyone can hear, yeah. A question on what you were saying regarding the majority of these small supporters, you know, being much younger. Um, what is the, like, I guess, like, what are the implications for... 20 years from now when all those people run for office. I know. Is there a, it's very scary. Is there any like, plan that people that we've been developing? No. Like not Israel just has to assume they have no friends in the future and do what can do. Kind of so that, that's why APAC, you should just know, uh, APAC does a really good job um, of trying to get young people, high school kids, because you got to get them before college. It's already too late when they're a sophomore or junior in college. They've already been brainwashed. You got to get kids in ninth, tenth grade to start coming to events. You know, get them on birthright. I'm just talking Jews right now. Forget about non-Jews for a minute, because we're losing a lot of our own people because so many people have been bought into this false narrative. Yeah, there are a lot of people. I, so I'm just—I don't want to go around the room, but I'm sure everybody here knows somebody that's on the other side. I'm getting calls like all week from. From friends and and I'm by the way I'm not telling people don't talk to him. Uh, it was a guy who was a fellow from like two years ago. His sister, and he was like, I, I'm stop. I'm not talking to her. I'm like, that's not productive. She's your yeah. sister. Okay, let her calm down and try to talk some sense into her. Like, let her come to buy her this book, have this conversation. If she's shutting down, there's nothing you can do. I, I'm not telling you. I don't. I would never tell somebody not to talk to their brother or sister, but like. I said, she's young, she's 23, 24 years old, talk to her. You know, I can't believe, her mind is, is set for life. You know, we, we that close-minded. So I, I'm, I, I don't know. So I, I think the only answer is to get to, it, it's to get to people as young as possible to dispel these myths, to dispel these this narrative that, that is out there. The problem we have and the challenge we have is nobody cares about facts anymore. Yeah. It's all about what people feel. And, um, but there's, I, I can't do anything about that. We just have to keep sharing the facts. Israel withdrew. Yes, they held on to certain security apparatus in case of a moment like this. But in no way did that prevent the Palestinians from creating a beautiful place for their children. They got billions of dollars from the world, from the European Union, from, from some from this country, and they allowed their leadership 
to use it for rockets and bombs and not for infrastructure. There's no reason that country shouldn't be doing well. Also, country, Israel, that city. Yeah. Israel allows a lot of people, give them work permits and stuff. There's like 200 plus, like there was a whole ratio yeah. of stuff. So. Listen, it's not easy. It's not easy. But you also have to ask the 2 million, we were talking about this today at the office, the 2 million Israeli Arabs. There are 2 million Israeli Arabs living as Israelis. Yeah. You know, there are, eight, there are eight members of the Knesset who are Muslim. There's yes. a mosque. Yes. We, 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 there's a mosque in the Knesset. It's important for people to know that. Israel is trying to create some kind of inclusive society. I'm not going to lie and say it's just as good for an Israeli Arab as it is for a Jew. It's probably not. Because there are social forces that you can't... But, like, they're not discriminated in the sense, like, they can't get a job or they, can't, they have to live in a certain... Like, it's, it's, um, they're really trying. And we need to know how many times, does anybody know how many times Israel has offered? I, I was against this at the time in the Oslo Accords, and I remember in 1993, Ehud Barak was a prime minister. You know what they offered? It was Bill Clinton with Ehud Barak and Yasser Arafat. 97% of the West Bank with the capital in East Jerusalem. Now, most of my friends were very upset about it. Most of my rabbis were also like, we're going to lose the coat. We're going to lose everything. Christians were upset. Because like, unfortunately, the history has been when, when you give Muslim control over religious sites, the only people allowed there are Muslims or they destroy them. This is what's happened, unfortunately. But Israel still offered it. Arafat walked away. And Bill Clinton said, you made me a failure. It's a famous quote. You can read it in any of the books. By the way, I'm not saying anything that's controversial here. Just you read, get, get yourself 10 books. Take the next, <laughs> seriously, get yourself, just pick the top 10 books about Israel. All this stuff is in there. This is not like some chiddush, some like new, yeah. When you're saying, you said that in 1948, about Israel, and then you said in 67 that we uh, took the West Bank and all that. Who did we take, and the Nights, who did we take that from? Uh, from the, the three countries that attacked us. Jordan, that were about to attack us. Jordan? Jordan controlled the West Bank. We took the West Bank from them. Egypt took uh, Egypt controlled the Gaza Strip. We took it from them. The Golan Heights was controlled by the Syrians. We took it from them. Egypt also um, had the Sinai Peninsula. We took that from them. It was, it, was, it, was a, it was it was a war. They were trying to take they, 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 in other words, they were coming in, and then Israel repelled them. And then Israel, when you're repelling an enemy, you keep going and you take more land. Now, this is very important to know. I don't know if I mentioned this last week. Everyone here should be aware of by the end of the Six-Day War, the Six-Day War was like a crazy miracle. Israel was ready to march on Cairo, Egypt. Israeli troops were in sight of Cairo, Egypt, the capital of Egypt. Okay, There are 90 million Muslims, Arabs, excuse me, that live in Egypt. It's a huge country. Damascus, Syria, and Amman, Jordan. This is important. Israel pulled back from those capitals. Israel had no interest. What they wanted to show was, don't mess with us again. They were there for a reason. They went further to show, because what happens when you get attacked in the yard? Okay, not that I was in so many fights, but I had a couple of scuffles when I was a kid in Queens. (laughs) By anti-Semites, unfortunately, what you have to do is you have to show that if you try this again, something worse is going to happen to you. So Israel was trying to show that. 
But they didn't because they have no interest in occupying 90 million Egyptians. Can you imagine? <laughs> or somehow, they would never have been able to do it, nor did they have any interest. But the West Bank, Yudav Shomron, we needed a buffer zone. Plus, Jews lived in the Yudav Shomron for thousands of years. That's where our tabernacle, before we had a temple, the tabernacle was in Shiloh for over 300 years. What's that? The Mishkan. Okay, so after, <laughs> it's okay, the Torah tells God commanded Moses in the Bible to build a Mishkan, which is like a mobile sanctuary that the Jewish people folded up and took. It was like mobile. They took it in the 40 years in the wilderness. And it, it was where we brought sacrifices and offerings. It's where Moses received revelation from God. Very, very important. And it was later replaced by the temple, Solomon's temple. That Mishkan, when it, when it was brought to Israel, its resting place was in a place called Shiloh, which is in Judea. And most of the holy sites, like where David fought Goliath, where David's palace was, were, were all in these areas. And this is what we took back. Now, you could say we took it back for religious reasons. Again, the Israeli government is not real, terribly religiously motivated. I wish they were a little more, but they're not. Okay, they took these areas as a buffer. Because if I had a map, I could show you how, you know, Israel's nine miles wide. You could run nine miles. How many people here can run nine miles? Okay, it's not a big deal. Okay, okay, what else? Okay, nine miles is nothing. That's with. Do you know what Israel is without these territories? It's dangerous, is what it is. Okay, and that's the way the United Nations partitioned. So I'm just explaining. That's what happened. Is that clear? Does it make sense? So we took those areas as buffers. We took the Sinai as a buffer, but then we used it to get some peace with Egypt. We gave it back. And I assure you, Israel would have given back most of the West Bank, the Gaza Strip it did, and probably East Jerusalem. And that would have been a big fight within the Jewish community, because a lot of people would be very much against it, because it has a lot of religious significance to us. And we would lose our ability to pray in our holy sites. And are, you, are we going to go to war for that? If someone really believed we could have peace, I, I'm just telling you, it, it wouldn't be in, in Jewish hands anymore. It would be in Arab hands. I'm not saying I agree with that entirely, but that's the reality. That's what it would be. The country's not run by a bunch of rabbis. Okay? Um, yeah, Leah. No, oh, okay. Yeah, question. So, I'm like, you know, like you see all these people in like the LGBT and like feminist communities who are like pro-Palestinian and you're just like, oh yeah, yeah, Jason, so yeah, my reaction. <laughs> Sorry. And it's just like, don't you know, like, you can't be gay or trans, like, under right. Hamas, like, government. So, I don't know, why is that like, argument not uh, meaningful to that community? I don't know. Like, what's the best way to talk to someone who's, like... I, I, I think, I think they... That's th- my community. Like, they don't know. Like, even if... But let's say they could hear that argument. Let's say they could hear that they're, like, being gay or being trans, that you could be killed, God forbid. Not wearing you know, a job. Like, like, would that change their view of Israel as a colonial, land-grabbing, aggressive, apartheid, you know, state, because the people they're fighting are anti-gay? I don't know. I don't know. We, uh, people always throw that out. I've seen that in a million reels. We're all experts in social media now, because we're all glued to it. But um, I, I don't know. I, I, I don't know if that would be... I think a lot of people say that as, as kind of like a cynical response to someone who's trans or just someone who's gay, 
to say that to them, you know, you know that you would be killed. You're standing up for people who hate you. Um, I do think it's an argument. I'm just not sure why it's not resonating. Yeah. I think it's just like, important to the people that are having it. They're, they're not under the impression that they're like pro Hamas. They're under the. I don't. They're yeah. they're delusional, but they're <laughs> under the impression that they're pro Palestinian. That they can separate those two things. So I think like making that even even one a second. But even though at the rallies that they attend, like the stuff that's being chanted is Hamas yeah. slogans. Throw them into the sea. The Hamas flag is being flown. They're, pu- they're pulling down... They're pu- why would they pull down ho- pictures of hostages on college campus? Happening all over the country now. Why are they pulling down... Hamas is the terror group that took the hostages. Uh, is that a way of saying we're happy they took hostages if they're pulling them down? No, I think they, it's no, propaganda. It's our propaganda. Yeah, that's yeah. what some people think. Mm-hmm. Okay. I mean, but I just think... They're, the people that I've spoken to are, are really not under the impression that they're supporting Hamas. Like, they're really under the impression that they can separate. And, like, it's a delusional... Like, it's no, no, I, I think that that's probably... Yeah, I think that's probably accurate, and that's what... You know, how many, how many supporters Hamas really has? And then the, here's the other argument that comes up on the, on the moral ground. If they're brainwashed, do you hold them responsible? Because let's say half of them are pro-Hamas, but they're brainwashed since a young age. Yeah. Correct. Yeah, so he didn't hold up in court. Uh, there were two arguments that were made at the Nuremberg trials. A number. One was that they had no choice. We were just following orders, and that was not accepted. And the other was that we didn't know right from wrong. We couldn't really tell because as a child, and here's a question, if you're raised in a jungle uh, and, and somebody sits you at a table and puts a fork and knife next to you, you're going to just eat like an animal. And if you're raised in an environment where you had no other choice, I understand it. I don't think it's an excuse. I think people can know right from wrong at some point. Um... But that's why the ultimate solution for this is education. Because you could, you know, kill all the Hamas leaders and take them out of commission. But if little boys and girls are still learning, do you know what they're learning? They're learning the temple, that the Jews made up this thing that they had a temple and it was on the Temple Mount. They also make up, otherwise happens again and again, that they, they justify these attacks because of what Israel does at the Al-Aqsa Mosque. What does Israel do at the Al-Aqsa Mosque? Does anybody know? Nothing. Nothing. They're not even allowed to go there, right? You know what Israel does? There are soldiers there that are, that are there just protecting the site. There's never been a rampage. There was an attempt by, on one Jew that they found out there was an investigation. He was trying to blow up the mosque, some Meshuggah guy, some nut and they exposed him, and he went to jail the rest of his life. Okay, but there was never... And I've heard... I, was, I lived in the old city of Yushalayim. They used to say... They're, 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 they would just make up... It's a blood libel. They would just make up something going on, and then you, you, you rile up the Arab populace, yeah. and then you get them to do something in, some, in the West Bank because of something that's purportedly <coughs> being done in the old city in Jerusalem. Is it controlled by Jordan or something? It's controlled by what's called the Waqf. The Waqf is the Muslim 
authority that Moshe Dayan, who was the defense minister in the, after the Six-Day War, they captured the Temple Mount. Har Habayi they said over the airwaves. The Temple Mount is in our hands. But in another crazy move, Israel gave jurisdiction and authority, legal authority over the Temple Mount. Now, presumably they did this because they wanted to, they wanted to uh, prevent World War III. There's actually a video of an Israeli soldier after the Six-Day War climbing on top of the Gold Mosque, and, and he placed a flag there, an Israeli flag, on top of the Gold Mosque, and it was ordered down immediately. And they said, we're going to have World War III. If you do that, the whole Arab world is going to go crazy. Now, I get that. I don't agree with it, actually. I think it would actually have been smart to do that, but it, it was risky. The, what I don't get is why authority was given, because now it's technically illegal, according to the Waqf, for a Jew to go and pray on the Temple Mount. Now, Jews go to the Temple Mount. You have to know where to go, because we have our own rules and laws about where you're allowed to be. Because the Temple Mount has a certain level of spiritual purity, and you can't just go anywhere. Um, but uh, you could technically be uh, imprisoned by Israeli police officers, because they're the ones patrolling the area, if you try to assemble a minion. So anyone who I know who goes to the Temple Mount, they know where to stand, so it's not a halachic, spiritual, religious issue. But you have to pray alone, and you shouldn't be caught moving your lips. I have a lot of friends that have gone. Um, so that's... What does the caught moving your lips has to do with... It just looks like you're praying. Because um, it's illegal to, for a Jew to pray there. Yeah, it, it, You're not going to hear any of this stuff in the, in the press. Why is that, though? What's that? Why can't the Jew pray there? Because that's the rules that they enacted, that the Muslims enacted. No, but uh, but the police, the Israeli police, enforces it to, a little. I mean, whatever. I have a friend who just went, and he, he said he davened, he put his fill in his talis on. He was fine. He went with his son. It was okay. But you can't congregate as a group. You know. Any other questions? It's running. We're running really late. Yeah. I, I had an Orthodox rabbi that told me that that uh, Jews can't go to the Temple Mount. So you can go to the Temple Mount, except you have well, to know where. No, I mean, I mean not physically, but um, according to... According Jewish, to halacha, right. According to, to Jewish halacha, law. They have to be cleansed, and we don't know how that you can... We, not, we don't have the means to fully spiritually cleanse ourselves today, because you require... Because we've all come to contact with the dead, and in order to be spiritually cleansed from the dead, you need the, the ashes of the red heifer. It's a very technical thing, and we don't have that anymore. But that doesn't mean you can't go to some parts of the town. You just need to know to go where. You can't go where the mosque is. But I'm, I'm not saying physically. Like, I know that physically you... That but according to Jewish law, right. if I wanted to go... I'm saying according to Jewish law, you could go to the Temple Mount, but you, can, you have to be restricted according to Jewish law to certain areas. And what if I went to the areas that can't... Just, it's just the areas that, where the Temple was that you can't be. But I'm saying, what happens if I go you know, to those places? I, what happens if you break Shabbos? What happens if you don't eat kosher food? It's just, you know I'm saying it's a, it's just, you're breaking a Jewish tradition. It's biblical. A lot of Jews that go there, by the way, because the tour guys don't care and they just bring you there. You know, um, 